0: There are three kinds of rewards. The first kind of reward has absolutely nothing to do with the thing that it's rewarding. A person who goes to war or makes love merely for money is a mercenary. Mercenaries labor is not motivated by love or honor or even joy in the work, but for something, most often cash, that is completely unrelated to the activity being rewarded. The second kind of reward is what you might call a natural reward. For a natural reward, you go and you rent your time, your talents and your energies to an employer in some honorable trade because you need to get paid and carry on with life. The second What separates this natural reward from the mercenary reward is motive. It's motive. It's understanding what that reward is all about and using your time, talents, and energies accordingly. And sometimes this second kind of reward flows naturally into the third kind of reward, what you might call an intrinsic reward reward. The mercenary and natural reward originate from the outside that person or activity, but an intrinsic reward is one that is won as a natural consequence of the attitude or action that is being rewarded. For example, a woodworker may make furniture to earn money, but also for the love of handling wood. I know at least one certified financial planner who gets great satisfaction from blessing the people that he serves. It is this love, it is this satisfaction or joy that is the intrinsic or even highest reward that can be given for our efforts. C.S. Lewis in his essay that everyone should take time to master put it this way. He said, the proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. Now, I'm not a musician, but little imagination is needed to understand that practicing scales for a beginner might be tedious. But the skill... (laughs) I always like being laughed at. But the skills developed in learning scales, if pursued with enough time and labor, reach to Mozart and Bach and the fulfillment that comes from producing such beauty. Joy, a sense of accomplishment, dare I say, glory naturally comes from a labor that results in something well done that was worthy of the time and effort to produce it. So producing art or blessing in the life of those who are near you brings with it an intrinsic reward. It comes by pleasing the person or persons it is your duty to please that you find is glorious and that is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 4 16-18 4, uh, he can say so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is producing in us a weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look Not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. In the battle to walk or live in the Spirit that we described last time we were here, we remember we do not walk alone. We do not walk alone. We live in God's power to accomplish kingdom purposes. And these purposes are sure because God guarantees that our labor for Him will not be in vain. And God ensures, miracle of miracles, we will be rewarded in, a, in kind with our attitudes and actions, with glory. What naturally results from being the kind of person who pleases the one it is ultimately our duty to please. And that is why we do not lose heart. Instead, we hope in future grace. In one sentence, our passage teaches that God the Spirit ensures that glory certainly follows suffering for God's creation and for God's children. Therefore, we have hope. Let's look to see our passage tonight. I'm reading from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now, the key question that Paul addresses for us tonight is, How? How can I have hope in light of all the suffering around me and all the suffering in me? From this passage, we learn several significant truths about suffering. We learn, number one, that we can't escape suffering. Is that news to anybody here? Just curious. You, Christian, are united with Christ in his sufferings. You are also united with all the world in its sufferings that is due to the curse. And you are united with the people of God throughout history who have suffered tribulation since the beginning of the world and the persecution and death of Abel. The second thing we learn, there is suffering that is moral and there is suffering that is non-moral. There is suffering that is the result of your sin or the sin of others. But then there is suffering that is simply the result of living in a sin-sick world that it's not really anybody's fault. But the third point is that a weight of glory, a weight of glory comes because of our suffering. And... That weight of glory infinitely outweighs our suffering. So you can hope in God in light of your sufferings because there is a weight of glory that is coming that is ever so much more weighty than that suffering. And the last thing we learn from this passage about suffering is you can hope because your suffering, Christian, is never meaningless. You are safe, and you are loved. Why? How do we know this? Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this life are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is the theme Verse of our passage. God the Spirit gives us hope in light of living in this sin sick world. And that is why you, Christian, can hope in future grace. So let's see how Paul teaches this in our passage. The first thing we learn is that suffering unfolds to glory for God's creation. We get that in verses 8 18 through 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, first and foremost, what we see here in this section is that far from a denial of suffering, of the reality of suffering in the lives of believers, Paul asserts that suffering is universal. It happens to everyone, everywhere, every when. You're not going to get out of it, no matter how many pills you take. And, for God's children, glory inevitably follows our suffering. Now, because glory is Paul's central concept in these verses, I want to take a moment to explain what it means. Glory does not mean, I'm better than you. In this case, it is the natural, or should I say supernatural, result of making it your aim to living your life in such a way that you desire to please the one person you are required to please. Now we get several clues from this paragraph about what glory means. Number one, part of this glory includes the fact that the sons of God are revealed. It will be noticed by everyone in the universe who belonged to God's family and who did not. There will be surprises. The second thing we learn about glory in this paragraph, we will see God's glory revealed when the futility that this creation is under. Think death, disease, vanity. The futility that this creation is under will be reversed. Life. Health. Shalom. And then, number three, the creation will also be set free from its bondage to corruption. Now personally, I can't wait to see what poison oak is going to be in the new kingdom because I hate poison oak right now. But it's going to be something glorious. I am certain. But then, number four, we will furthermore see the great reversal. When the first shall be last and the last shall be first, and the glory of the children of God will be known everywhere. (sighs) Meanwhile, tomorrow is Monday morning, so what do we do? We pray, Maranatha, come quickly. Lord Jesus and we hope in future grace. Now if as we said a moment ago the suffering should by no means surprise us and if we have such a glorious future to look forward to, then hope is the only reasonable response to your sufferings and mine. Grace. God's power to accomplish kingdom purposes. For example, hoping during our current temporary light momentary affliction. You need a lot of grace for that. Grace is what we can expectantly look forward to and trust in. The future holds nothing but grace for those who are part of God's family. So trust Him and hope knowing that God will come through on his promises for you in Christ. The next portion we see that suffering unfolds to glory for God's children in verses 23 to 25. Paul says, and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan. Anybody know what that what that's like? Are you with me on that? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, what's great here is we who are God's children experience the first fruits of the Spirit. We have God the Spirit working in us as a seal, as a demonstration of both His approval of us and His ownership of us. And we groan. Frankly, my shoulder doesn't move like it used to. And I have loved ones who simply will not take the time or effort to listen to reason. There is plenty of curse going around for every one of us, isn't there? But note, pay attention, behold, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Which, scratch your head, Paul unexpectedly defines as the redemption of our bodies. Dude, new back, my ears won't be ringing 24-7, my intestines will finally calm down. And, and better than that, I will either be able to sleep when necessary or I'll just party for Jesus all day and all night. Anybody got a list like that? Man, all this is great stuff to hope for. But what is hope? Wishful thinking? Like Paul has said many times already, may it never be. Hope is Faith looking towards the future. Hope is faith looking towards the future and understanding that the future is all grace. The future for the child of God is all grace. The future is all God working to produce what we cannot produce for ourselves. Faith looking Backwards is gratitude. Faith looking at the moment is love. And faith looking to the future is hope. Hope. Hope is that confident emotion of security that God will come through on His promises for us in Christ. And therefore, we are willing to take great risks for the great God who loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us. And that is what we have to look forward to. Then Paul says here, he says, in this hope we are saved. Well, what hope? Which, which one are you talking about? Of the many things we have to hope for, Paul, which is the one you're bringing us our attention to? The redemption of our bodies. Now, note here, Paul isn't limiting the hope. There's a, a lot of things to hope for, but who can't identify with the hope of a body that works? And besides, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. When when did God get interested in our body? Ha, you know what might surprise you? God created our bodies. And when he created our bodies, he said, it is, furthermore, you are not, nor will you ever be merely your body, nor you are not, nor ever will be merely your spirit. God made you the way He made you, and He likes it. God is not ashamed of our bodies, even if we have a few too many pounds, even if we have scars from our own foolishness. God is not ashamed of our bodies. Why are you ashamed again? To whom are you listening when you are ashamed? Nevertheless, I'll stop meddling it back to preaching. Your body is wearing out. Your body is getting slower. Your body is not as live as it used to be. And so, one of the many promises that He gives us is that we will be renewed physically and spiritually. And my friends, among the many reasons to hope, this is a reason to hope in future grace. In the meantime, tomorrow is Monday morning, and we must say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray, come quickly. And we hope in future grace. Our next section, Paul uses to teach us that in the midst of our suffering, we are safe and we are loved. I get this from verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, Paul brings up weakness here. And so, you have to ask the question, to what weakness are you referring, Paul? Are physical? Well, that would actually make sense, because we just spent quite a bit of time talking about physical stuff. But there is something of a break here before verse 26. And Paul goes on to clarify what the remedy that the the Spirit gives us for our weakness. And in this case, evidently, the weakness is spiritual. In spite of having all the blessings in the heavenly realms, ours, you and I remain ignorant In our prayers. Anybody identify with that? And in our weakness, God the Spirit moves to intercede for us. That is something to praise Jesus about. So, what does this mean? What, what does this mean that the Holy Spirit intercedes for me in my praying to the Father? Number one, it means that my prayers can be heard because there is no static of sin between God the Father and God the Spirit. Furthermore, my prayers make sense. <laughs> Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever wondered how God makes sense of our prayers when? We don't even really know what we're saying sometimes. And not only that, we certainly don't know what's best. So how does God make sense of my little infantile prayers? God the Spirit intercedes for me. And lastly, my prayers can be effective because God the Spirit directly asks God the Father. And that prayer will be answered because God the Spirit knows what God the Father wants. Does that mean I get everything that I want? Obviously not. Prayer doesn't work that way for multiple reasons. Number one, because we are so foolish as to ask for foolish things, right? But what we can do, what we must do, is pray. Pray! Pray with a guarantee like this. Pray because He intercedes for you. And as you are praying, hope in future grace. Now I want to note one more thing here before we leave this because this is crucial. We've been talking a lot so far in this sermon about future grace. Grace that will come, most of which will come either after Jesus returns or after I go to Jesus, right? And, and that's all great. We need that. And that's why Paul has it here, because I need hope while I'm facing sufferings right now. But this, verses 26 and 27, is even more glorious. Why? Because it tells me that God the Spirit is working for me right now. Right here Right now, God the Spirit is working for me by taking my puny little prayers and translating them to God the Father. And He's doing it for God's glory, for your joy, and for the growth of God's kingdom. Therefore, pray. Pray. Get on your knees and pray. If you don't take time to pray, guess what? It won't be done for you. And most of the time, we don't pray because we don't think it really matters. I mean, let's just be real here. Most of the time, it's not because we're not busy. Because I venture to guess you play on Facebook and crush candy enough that you could be taking more time to pray. I'm just guessing. I know that's true in my life. And note something else here. Weakness in prayer, though everyone experiences, is not the only weakness that we experience. But Paul needed an example, just like the weakness of our bodies. He needed an example that many would identify with because we all have areas we struggle in. I have known a few people in my life that I believe were just flat prayer warriors, and they just love to pray. And they would probably say, Pastor Greg, I don't know what you're talking about. I could pray for six hours straight. Well, praise Jesus, I bet you struggle in other areas, like pride. Never mind. (laughs) But God works in those areas as well. And so Paul uses this as an example. So that when you're struggling this week, whatever that struggle is, whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual, you can depend on God the Spirit to meet you where you are and to work in you and through you, for you, for God's glory. Therefore, pray. Pray. Christianity is really simple. But since you asked, let's attach a promise or three to this because we want to know what God's promises are so that we can therefore live with them. And I bet we can find three of the best promises in all of Scripture in this one chapter. Let's see if we can do that. How about Romans 8:1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. The most important thing in the entire universe has been done for you. You don't have to be afraid. Secondly, Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. You don't have to be afraid of your sufferings. In fact, we're going to find out next week that we are more than conquerors of our sufferings. And that is going to open up praises that will never end. I guarantee it. But last but not least, we come to another one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How? Will He not also graciously give us all things? That, my friends, is a blanket promise. If God would do something so great as send His Son to the cross to die for your sins, you can bet whatever is in your best interest, God is going to make sure it happens. So pray. Pray. and hope in future grace. Memorize these promises and allow them free reign in your heart and you will find plenty of situations in which they will help you be the man or woman of God that you really in your heart want to be. And you will do this and you will be a tool fit for the master's hand. And wonder beyond wonder, you will also be rewarded with future grace. Therefore, pray. And Paul wraps up this section by teaching us that you can't even fathom the richness of the glory you win from your sufferings. Verses 28-30 through And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And in those whom he predestined, he also called. In those whom he called, he also justified. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you see what just happened here? In these verses? No one enrolled in Jesus' school of glory will fail to graduate. Praise Jesus. And... This passage, these three verses are going to begin our time in God's Word next time, but I'm bringing it to us, our attention now, because I want us to be absolutely certain. I want us to know that we know your suffering is not in vain. No matter what that suffering is physical, emotional, mental, spiritual it is not in vain. You can trust God the Spirit with your pain. And you can know that He is with you, will never leave you nor forsake you. What else? All this glory, all this grace and hope and faith that we've been bouncing back and forth in this sermon point actually not to the Spirit, but All of this points back to the one that the Spirit loves to point to more than anyone else. God the Son. Jesus. Because in the end, it's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. Rightly, we point to these verses and we show how election stands and will not fail. And yet... The emphasis is not about us. The emphasis is on Jesus. That's why it's not my job to preach to enable you to be like me. It's my job to preach so that you will be like Jesus. And fortunately for all of us, it's the Spirit's job to make sure that that process takes place. And he guarantees that everyone who enters into Jesus' school of glory will graduate. Praise Jesus, because I am not up to that task, and I guess, I'm betting, neither are you. But through the suffering, through the furnace heat that God uses to melt away your dross, the result will be glorious beyond anything that we could even imagine or hope for. Hope in future grace. So how does the furnace of suffering produce glory? Or to use our analogy at the beginning, how do rewards fit into the life of the Christian? (laughs) I don't know. But God promises that they are going to happen, and so I believe it. If God says this is the way it's going to be, then I just trust. How is that going to look? I don't know. But what we can say is that we can hope for this glory that we don't quite understand. And a future grace That is at the same time a gift from God and is a reward from the gifted attitudes and actions that God the Spirit works in us is what we can hope for. So hope in this future grace, this glory, this reward, this grace that God the Spirit works in our attitudes and actions Is what he uses to make us the kind of men and women who naturally, perhaps better, supernaturally, become the kind of people who can enjoy the rewards that heaven has. Because as we are naturally, we just wouldn't enjoy them. Instead, he needs to change us. Have you suffered for your enemies? Your glory will be more love and therefore more glory in heaven. Have you sacrificed for those who are near you? Your glory will be more riches, again, whatever that looks like, in heaven. And this isn't some prosperity gospel that our friends at TBN have come up with. Because Jesus himself said this exact thing. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. You will only be able to love like this when you trust in God's promises and you hope in future grace. Tim Keller put it like this. If you know that this is not the only world, not the only body, not the only life that you are ever going to have, that you will someday have a perfect life on a ranch in Colorado or something. Who cares what people do to you? You're free from ultimate anxieties in this life. So you can be brave and take risks. You can face the worst things with joy, with hope. The resurrection means that we can look forward with hope to the day our suffering will be gone. But it even means that we can look forward with hope to the day that our suffering will be glorious. You can hope in future grace because God will come through on all His promises for us in Christ. Answered prayer today and new bodies in the future are only two examples of the glories that await the children of God who suffer now in the midst of this sin-sick world. So hope. Trust in Him. And pray. Lord Jesus, We have nothing else to hope in. And so indeed, we turn to you and ask that you would meet us here. You would give us your spirit so that we can hope, we can rejoice, we can bring glory to you because you are worthy of our best attitudes and actions. In Jesus' name, amen.